Zay, 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 zay. A secret radio, incredible bash money, Barbados in the building. Big Joe, the big bag and counting. Raheem, oh, Nirari, oh. Daily, daily power, the beauty, Basha Mobotis. Swanky, Bobo, Allah, Shopet, Abashiton. Aro, Roku, Roku, the borrow. Poab, Avante, me, social media. Agbaye chosi, mokinyo. Aumami, sekina, aroncelori, mama. Misty laundry, laundry. Visi, visi, asaji, jilita, eskisit, mwale. Aumante, mi la anonymous, ala mwishi niyo. Ano fili, mine mwari, mwati bo. Asaji, and second to the last podcast of the season. Alright, um yeah, let's read proper proper now. So we'll talk about soy chemistry. Soil chemistry studies the nature of chemical elements in the soil system in organic and inorganic combinations. And it also studies the entire relationship between this chemical element and how they relate with the three states of matter, liquid, solid, and gas. Soil chemistry definitely interacts with other disciplines like plants, soil biology, biochemistry, soil physics, geochemistry, and soil formation, pollution science, and water chemistry. So you might be asked to discuss a named discipline and its interaction with soil chemistry. So we'll be looking at some, and now we'll talk about soil chemistry and, and plants. Soil chemistry regulates the availability of essential major elements and trace elements, the micro-elements. And soil are also important in restricting the undesirable side effects from plant protection chemicals such as the selective herbicides, fungicides, molluscicides. And plants in turn may substantially influence soil physical chemical properties in many ways. Ways like acidification uh, by release of hydrogen ions at the so it can compensate plant uptake of the base cations and anions and modification of soil moisture content. The effect of organic compound oxidation from the roots is also how soil chemistry relates with plants. Root respiration too, it involves soil chemistry and plants as well. The incorporation of plant litter and its subsequent degradation in the soil is also an interaction with soil chemistry and plants. So we are going to check soil chemistry with respect to soil biology and soil biochem. The total plant biomass, I mean the total biomass, the biological population of the soil, especially <coughs> microbial population, they play a vital role in nutrient recycling, such as carbon, nitrogen, phosphorus, and sulfur, and hence, 
once they play a um, recycling of nutrients, they definitely regulate the soil fertility. However, the activities of micro and microorganisms in the soil are also regulated by soil chemical properties. How is soil chemistry also relating to water chemistry? Except where you have rocky outcrops, like where the land is not just soil, there's rock and it dominates the landscape, precipitation and <clears throat> reaching the soil surface flow through and over the soil before reaching groundwater or draining into the steam or lake. During this period, the soil water contact a range of chemical reactions would have taken place, which will now regulate the chemical composition of the fresh water that has eventually been obtained. Then, soil chemistry and pollution science. <laughs> so, we use the land for whatever we like. And the soil now serves as a depository of vast quantity of pollutants because most of our waste is always to the ground. And now, nuclear waste or fallout, acid rain, lead, lead or petrol, everything. Another important source of potential pollution is spreading of manure or sewage sludge on the soil, either for disposal or fertilizer effect. When the concentration gets higher, trouble looms. When <clears throat> the fate of this pollutant or of fertilizer and other agrochemicals that have been added to the soil is an increasingly important area that we have to study in soil chemistry. Many soils have extraordinary capacity for rendering pollutants if ineffective. Some soils have a very high buffering capacity. But at the present time, Li Odeoni, this capacity is being abused to the extent that it critically loads that critical loads may be exceeded and once get exceeded the soil can lose its quality and its functions so what's the significance of soil chemistry it can be asked to mention five one it improves availability of nutrients to plants it utilizes social um, micro microbial organisms to the best advantage it improves the physical conditions of the soil like the soil structure helps explain the basic property of the soil as they occur in nature and it also helps to monitor and follow rapid changes that occur in the soil as a result of introduction of intensified modern techniques now every day we de- modify modify looking for ways to make life better and we need to know the impact of all of these things as regards to soil so now let's look at soil and its chemical properties when we talk about soil chemical properties, we're talking about <clears throat> soil acidity, role of silicate clay minerals, the cation exchange capacity, base saturation, exchangeable acidity, flocculation, and dispersion. Well, when we talk about soil acidity, the first thing that will come to head is pH. But let's do this in the next slide so for easier drafting. Join us in the next segment.
kabo para surieto au ni kenzi bitai kojusi soy ph ph actually stands for potential hydrogen or the potential of hydrogen and it is expressed as the negative of the log of the concentration of the hydrogen ions h plus it is given as a number from 0 to 14 and the water we drink day in day out has a ph of around 7 in acidic soils ph is less than 7 while the uh, hydrogen ions h plus predominate but in alkaline soils the ph is greater than 7 and the oh negative that's the hydroxyl group predominates so soil with ph of 7 are usually neutral like not really harmful like you understand now. and this is what we call soil reaction and ph when the ph is less than 3.5 you can say it's ultra acid when it's 3.5 to 4.4 extremely acid When it's 4.5 to 5.0, very strongly acid. When it's 5.1 to 5.5, strongly acid. When it's 5.6 to 6.0, moderately acid. 6.1 to 6.5, slightly acid. 6.6 to 7.3, neutral. 7.4 to 7.8, slightly alkaline. Moderately alkaline is 7.9 to 8.4. 8.5 to 9.0 is strongly alkaline and greater than 9.0 is very strongly alkaline. Now you can see the transition as the pH number increases, acidity will reduce, alkalinity will settle. Sure you understand. And the values are just called are just the pH values, potential of hydrogen. Now the effect of pH on nutrient availability and uptake The macro elements nitrogen phosphorus potassium sulfur calcium magnesium they are usually in abundant level around 6.0 to around 8.0 8.5 max but <clears throat> when we talk about iron manganese boron copper and zinc they tend to increase in availability as the soil becomes more acid like from 6.0 to 5.5 to 5.0 like that and except molybdenum molybdenum is the only trace element that increases as the ph number increases it increases in availability as the ph number increases although the ph does not directly affect plant but it just affects the availability of those um, nutrients and as we know that the cation exchange capacity and the anion exchange capacity nutrient needs to be dissolved in soil solution before they can be assessed by plants the soil ph changes whether a nutrient is dissolved in the soil solution or forms other less soluble compound calcium compounds in high ph soils with high calcium carbonate concentration or if dissolved is then susceptible to what we call leaching now let's talk about soil acidity soil acidity is different from soil ph soil ph has to do with acidity and alkalinity or the neutrality of the soil 
but a soil acidity is the activity of hydrogen ion or the hydrogenium ion H3O plus in the soil solution. So the activity of this H plus in the soil solution or the acidity associated with the soil solid is the soil acidity. And we have three types. We have the active acidity, reserved acidity, and total acidity. The total acidity is just the sum of the active acidity and the reserved acidity. But <clears throat> the exchange the reserve acidity has two types: the exchangeable acidity and non-exchangeable acidity. Now let's talk about the active acidity. The active acidity is the active activity of H ions, H plus in a soil solution. And what happens when you dissolve a small sample of soil in a distilled water? This brings us back to the concept of when we want to drink gari. When you pour water in your gari, the water becomes sour. And this is as a result of the uh, acidity that the gari has released into the water. And as you sieve the water out, add more water, you find out that the concentration of the water reduces because of the acidity that has been displaced into the water now starts to become reduced. Now it's the same principle when it comes to soil. When you dissolve small sample of soil in water, acid, the acid, the H plus are displaced into the water, but not totally. Some will still remain in the soil solid, but it will displace it into the water. That water, when you now check the pH, <coughs> you what you have at that moment is the active acidity. While the reserved acidity will still be inside the soil solid, I hope I'm communicating. Now, this active acidity, we might tend to have some, um, what's it called? Some effects like solution, I mean, suspension effect, dilution effect, and even sodium effect. Because the amount of water that you pour also determines the amount of acidity. If you take 5 grams of soil and you add 5 ml of water, the acidity, active acidity result you get is different from who has added 5 grams of soil and 10 ml of water. And this is called the dilution effect. Or we have the suspension effect, which is when you dissolve soil in water, maybe of a known uh, ratio, 5 grams of soil to 10 ml of water. The, uh, what's it called? When you want to check the pH, when you check for only water, you have checked only the active acidity. If that's what you are looking for, you are safe. But if your pH electrode is now touching the soil, it will now be calculating the active acidity and the reserved acidity. Most especially when you shake thoroughly. When you shake thoroughly and everything is mixed and you quickly take your pH, you might have roughly an estimate. But when the pH, the this thing settles, the soil solid settles, and you have the dispersed medium, then you now check the uh, pH. 
what you have there is the active acidity and i hope we understand what active acidity is so when you dissolve water like that the h plus start dissociating from the soil particle in the water and it causes the acidity known as the active acidity and acidic cations still associated with soil particles do not contribute to the active acidity which is those acidic cations that you see in the soil solid they don't contribute to the active acidity now <clears throat> these acidic cations that are still associated with the soil particle that do not contribute towards the active acidity that are still in the soil solid and I, I get coconuted they are called reserve acidity now this reserve acidity those cations can be exchangeable or non-exchangeable may say coconuted pass coconuted so now to now get the reserve acidity you now dissolve the soil in a salt solution known as kcl potassium chloride or potassium chloride around yeah potassium chloride solution so as to measure the reserve acidity so what this will do is that the potassium in the potassium chloride will now go and replace the aluminium ions the h plus that have been associated with the soil solid aluminium ions are part of the causes of acidity so the aluminium ions in the soil i mean the aluminium ions in the soil solution react with water to produce um hydrogen ion thereby causing acidity so here when the potassium replaces or displaces um, aluminium aluminium here is an exchangeable acidity so the bound hydro hydrogen ions and aluminium ions that is not displaced or slowly displaced is now called the non-exchangeable acidity now the k in the potassium will displace aluminium and h plus from the reserved acidity but there are still some that are coconuted that won't get displaced. Those ones are now called the non-exchangeable ones. The ones that get displaced are the exchangeable ones. So you can now calculate the percentage, like percentage of exchangeable capacity, percentage of non-exchangeable. But when we're talking about cation exchangeable capacity, we can't talk about that. So <clears throat> the reserve acidity is still on the reserve acidity. It refers to the non-active acidic cations associated with the soil solid that are gradually released into soil solution and or are non-exchangeable using a concentrated neutral uh, neutral salt so <clears throat> the total acidity i said the sum total of both type of acidity active and reserve acidity is known as total acidity so how do we measure um acidity <sighs> 11 minutes okay let's still go but, um we measure it on a ph scale ranging from 0 to 14 and it is done in the soil solution and most cultivated soil that we use for agriculture is beyond is around 6 to 8 ph so what are the causes of soil acidity i'm just trying to let us finish soil acidity on this segment so what is causes of soil acidity? Deleting loss of bases. When calcium, magnesium are lost to leaching, 
and they are leaving aluminium iron and um, hydrogen plus we tend to have more acidic soils application of acid forming fertilizer like urea nh4 plus based fertilizer when this fertilizer their residues they become they make the soil become acid gradually then we have acid rain the composition of organic matter where co2 is always given off it can mix with soil water to form a weak acid known as the carbonic acid the hydrolysis of aluminium when aluminium is hydrolyzed like when you add water it gives us it gives off um what's it called it gives us aluminium hydroxide and gives us gives off it produces aluminium hydroxide and gives off or evolves or displays yeah displays um hydrogen ion and aluminum silicate silicate clay dissociation organic matter dissociation carbonation nitrification soil amendment sulfur oxidation all these things causes acidity and how do you neutralize this acidity anything that produces hydrogen ion is in the soil can cause acidity Therefore, anything that reduces the activity of these H plus ions in the soil solution will definitely neutralize soil acidity. And to neutralize soil acidity, that takes us to what we call liming. Um, the agricultural lime, CaCO3, magnesium carbonate, calcium magnesium uh, carbonate, calcium oxide, calcium hydroxide, wood ash, and all of that all those neutralizes soil acidity how does this work when you add calcium carbonate to the soil that has acidity calcium carbonate <coughs> reacts with hydrogen ion to give off or displace its own uh, cation calcium then now mix with the uh what's it called um <coughs> CaCO3 plus H plus will give you calcium. Then I'll give off a carbonate um, that contains hydrogen. And if this carbonate to also react with H plus, then eventually CO2 is given off and H2O is left. CO2 and water is given off, which are both harmful. So each mole of the agricultural lime neutralizes two moles soil acidity. So it is the carbonate in the uh, calcium uh, carbonate that neutralizes the soil acidity. That carbonate, CO3, that is what neutralizes the soil acidity. So join us in the next segment where we talk about liming requirements. Watima Shekini, Watima Agbo, are you sleeping? I don't believe. Lime requirement. Lime requirement is the amount of liming material that is required to bring about the desired pH change. 
and the amount of lime required to raise a soil from 1 pH to a desired pH value is known as lime requirement. And lime requirement is determined by the change in pH required. Is it from 4 to 9? Is it from 4 to 8? Is it from 12 to 6? It's also determined by the buffering capacity of the soil. I want to say about the Then we have <clears throat> the chemical composition of the limey material. The limey material, maybe CaCO3 or it is CaO or it is MgCO3. The chemical composition also matters. The finest, lubu lubu, powdered. How fine is it? The fine one will react faster than the granular ones. So the principle is simple. The soil with um, that has hydrogen ions, then we add CaCO3, the lime. What it does is this calcium will displace the hydrogen ion away from the soil and go and bind with the soil. Then the hydrogen ion will now be converted to water and carbon dioxide will be given off. So, na so the thing, na so the thing go she you get, and <clears throat> you know, like me requirement. I know you taught us that okay, there's incubation type. There's the one that you do the field experiment to because you have to apply it at the recommended rate. She you get, and I've told you the four factors that determines the limey requirements i said the buffering capacity of the soil the change in ph that is required the finest and the chemical composition easy work. okay so <clears throat> the next thing in line is um soy Iron exchange. Let's let's do iron exchange. Let's do it in the next in the next segment. So talk about iron exchange. Soil color have unneutralized negative charges. The soil colloids. They are usually unneutralized and they have negative charges. So, positively charged cations are adsorbed at this negatively charged site by what we call electrostatic attraction. The electrostatic attraction, no be hard, not just rainbow, light charges repel, on light charges attract. So, positively charged cations on CA plus, Mg plus, H plus, then the soil colloid has a negative charge. What will they do? They will attract. And as this attraction, how do they bind together? Adsorption, AD, not absorb, adsorption. So, adsorbed cation will resist removal by leaching water, but can be replaced by other cation in solution by mass action. Now, you cannot remove cations that has been adsorbed to the um, 
to the soil culot by just leaching. You have to do what we call a mass action using another cation so to displace down the way. Then the one that has not attracted to the culot can now be washed away by leaching. Now the exchange of one positive ion by another, like when you when you um, displace, let's say that na K plus they adsorb to your soil colloid. You now displaced with calcium. Now calcium plus don't they your soil colloids. K they don't wash and come out with leaching water. Definitely you have done what we call cation exchange. You have exchanged K plus for C two plus. What's my shakini? Don't sleep. So we open the club. My nigga, we open the club. We do. So cation exchange now. You know I've talked about ion exchange. Cation exchange is the process of replacement or exchange of one cation for another. The exchange complex refers to all soil particles like clay and humus that absorb or exchange cations. Clay and humus that absorb or exchange cations. And the liming of acid soil results in Ca2 plus ion replacing H plus and Al3 plus. I think I've explained that and it's clear. How do you express cation exchange capacity? It is expressed in centimoles per kilogram of the soil. And cation exchange capacity is known as CEC, not CCO, not credit card, CEC. And CEC is the sum total of all the exchangeable cation present in the soil solution in equilibrium with the soil solid. Sum total of all exchangeable cations. Remember that there are some cations that are non-exchangeable. So, <clears throat> when they say the soil have low CEC or high CEC, what they are just saying is that the exchangeable capacity of the soil is low. When you want to swap or when you want to displace, change the distance, it's low. It's not always easy. Compared to the one that have ICEC, that will just do it sharp. Sharp, sharp, you don't exchange them. So, what are the sources of cation exchange capacity? We have the clay minerals and we have the organic matter. The clay minerals, how do they do CEC? One, they do it by isomorphous substitution or isomorphic substitution. And <clears throat> this increases the negative charge on the soil and consequently the CEC of the soil. The substitution of Al3 plus for Si4 plus give rise to overall one net minus charge now when the um, cation you have on your soil was let's say si4 plus and you want to replace it with al3 plus you know there'll be this one is si4 plus and al3 plus you know there'll be one left if it replaces um the number of this thing if it replaces si so we now have al <coughs> three plus remaining one of 
silicon. The four, you know silicon is four plus four minus three is one. So that means that we have one net minus charge, and this now results in the increase in the negative charge of on the soil, and consequently the CEC of the soil. Now the CEC of some clay minerals. CEC ranges from about 2 to 150 centimoles per kg. Kaolinite, mica, monsmorillonite, vermiculite, they all have their own cation exchange capacity. We're talking about clay now. Kaolinite of about 2 to 5, mica has about 10 to 20, monsmorillonite 70 to 100, vermiculite 100 to 150. Organic matter, they have about 200 centimol per kilogram CEC uh, capacity, um, CEC. Highly decomposed organic matter, known as humus, have a very high surface area that is greater than clay. Clay has small size, larger surface area. Organic matter has a higher surface area than clay itself. So it develops negative charge due to the H plus ions from its functional group, the carboxyls, the hydroxyls, and the phenolics. So they develop um, a negative charge. Now, <clears throat> the root hair, let's say the root hair has H plus all surrounding it, and the soil solution was added, like a soil solution with um some cations were added all the cations that are on the uh, clay particle or the humus particle will now go and exchange all this h plus mg plus will now be there ca plus will now be there then they now try to form this balance and they displace of h plus so that is basically what um cation exchange is about and <clears throat> what is centimol and how do we calculate it because uh, CEC is calculated in centimoles so how do we calculate this okay you know calcium is CA2 plus these are things you should know it has two positive charges which means that one mole of calcium will give you two moles two positive charges two moles of positive charge one mole of potassium k plus will give you one mole of positive charge one mole of aluminium will give you three moles of aluminium so one mole equals to 100 moles so it means that if it's for aluminium they will not say one mole of al3 plus i mean one mole equals 100 centimoles now if you want to convert three moles of aluminium we'll have 300 centimoles so <laughs> i hope that conversion is clear it's just like 100 centimeter make one meter so 100 centimoles make one moles so if you say one mole of aluminium three plus is three moles of aluminium so i guess you should be able to 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 to, to do something in that so we're going to um, base saturation and join us in the next segment for base saturation. So welcome back to the next segment and 
we're talking about base saturation. And base saturation is simply just um, the basic cations. Like for example, potassium and calcium, they are basic cations. Now when you have potassium, uh, aluminium, calcium and hydrogen on a soil colloid of about one kilogram. If the total um, moles of all of centimoles of all of these uh, cations are 12 centimoles per kg, then you now add how much the percentage of the basic cation to the percentage of the total cations is the base saturation. I wish I can explain this better, but I'm sorry, sorry. So, exchangeable acidity, the percentage of soil cation exchange capacity, which is occupied by acidic cations. Base saturation is occupied by base, potassium, calcium, sodium, all those ones. But acidic cations, we'll be talking about <coughs> aluminum, hydrogen, iron, you get that kind of thing. So, <laughs> so now to calculate that, you will now be adding aluminum plus hydrogen, then divide by the total CEC. If you don't understand, enter my dear. So now we'll talk about flocculation and dispersion. Soil particles that are attracted to each other and form aggregates is known as flocculation. While soil particles that are repelled away from each other and the particles act independently, they are known as dispersion. Dispersion pushes particles apart. One of the, the dispersing agents is uh, sodium, and flocculation brings um, particles together. And some of those particles are calcium or aluminium like those are uh, flocculating agents and these agents have the characteristics of small they have higher charges and they tend to flocculate clay particles while the ones that are large cations with lower charges displace like potassium and um, sodium so <clears throat> factors that are affecting flocculation and dispersion the cation type, the electrolyte solution concentration, and also pH. The effect of cation type. Cations with relatively small hydrated radius, like calcium and magnesium, they form thin double layer. Soil particles get close enough for short-range attractive force to cause flocculation. While cations with relatively large hydrated radius from thick double layer soil particles cannot approach each other causing dispersion remember calgon when you are doing particle size analysis <clears throat> what is a double layer soil particles have they are negatively charged and this negatively charged needs a positively charged to you know be attracted to each other and this is satisfied by the positively charged cations so <clears throat> soil particles are negatively charged 
oh, sorry, followed by a second layer which becomes increasingly diffuse and eventually reaches the same concentration as the bulk solution. All these things are could only be explained like it can only be illustrated majorly. Because I don't know how to explain with my with my mouth. It shook. So <clears throat> talk about the effect of electrolyte concentration high electrolyte concentration forms double forms thin double layer causing flocculation low electrolyte concentration forms thick double layer causing dispersion and the ph effect is a multifaceted effect like the surface charge properties the dissolution reaction and composition of exchange complex Dispersion could be a problem in soil under irrigated conditions as sodium tends to accumulate in the soil solution. Then we move to adsorption and desorption. What am I believing? So, alright, um, this is what we'll do. Let's talk about this in the next segment. So let's talk about adsorption and desorption. Adsorption is the process of concentrating material at the interface of two faces. It may or may not lead to absorption, which is penetration of components into the other material. So we ask to differentiate between the two. Adsorption is the concentration of the material at the interface of the two faces. Maybe like water on leaves. That's adsorption. But absorption is like bread and tea. When you dip your, tea inside, your bread inside tea. When a distinction may not be made between these two processes, then we can call it absorption. When you cannot tell if it's absorption that have happened before adsorption, you can call it absorption. Absorption may occur either on the surface of liquid or solid by a gas or liquid. Which means <sighs> Stationary phase, liquid, solid, mobile phase, liquid, gas, adsorption system, liquid can stay on liquid, liquid on solid, gas on liquid, gas on solid. The stationary phase that might not move is solid or liquid. The mobile phase that can move is liquid or gas. Adsorption characteristics. Adsorption is not only dependent on the surface area, but also on the surface. I mean, it's not only dependent on the surface charge, but also on the surface area. Adsorption reactions are reversible, and are equilibrium reaction. Adsorption and desorption they are reversible. Adsorption is characterized by positive heat of adsorption, meaning that energy is released during adsorption process. Adsorption generally decreases as temperature increases. Adsorption is less at high temperature. The forces necessary for adsorption, physical forces, hydrogen bonding, hydrophobic bonding, electrostatic bonding, coordination reaction, ligand exchange. Adsorption isotherms. This describes the equilibrium relationship between the concentration of adsorbed material and the unadsorbed species at a specific temperature. And there are four major types of equations that are used to describe these adsorption isotherms. 
we have the Freon Leech, the Langmoire, the BET, the Brenner Emmet and Teller, and the Gibbs Equation. Then goes that we didn't go into all those things. That's in that. So soil composition, the solid phase. The solid phase occupies about 50% of the soil volume. It is composed of 97% inorganic material and 3% organic material in an average silt loam soil. The solution phase is the chemical composition of the soil solution depending on the physical chemical characteristics, the precipitation solute composition, biological activity, and also the contact time. Then the gaseous phase may be greatly enriched with CO2 which is relatively higher than the above ground CO2 and as a consequence of um, consequence of microbial and root respiration and relatively depleted O2. Under certain conditions, it may contain a significant amount of gases such as nitrous oxide and hydrosulfide or even ethylene. So I think that is that on the pedals part. Then we move to each of this part. I don't know if pollution and contamination is part of it. But I'll talk about pollution and contamination in the next slide so you know get sure. Okay, zay zay zay. Let me try this cruise. I'm working on the road but I want to see where I can be recording. <clears throat> The podcast as I'm moving. So we want to talk about pollution and contamination. I'm not sure if we'll talk, but we just have to. And after math, I'll talk about um, organic matter. With respect to soil chemistry. Um, that's HOD's part or the former HOD's part. Pollution is an any undesirable change in the characteristics of air, water, soil, and food that can adversely affect the health survivor or activities of human or other living organisms. Also, it includes noise, thermal pollution, and chemicals. Why contamination is the concentration of substances at a higher rate than would occur naturally, but also in which the substance is causing harm of some types. Hence, soil can be contaminated but not polluted. And then there's what we call the toxic slash hazardous waste. Pollutants that are acutely or chronically toxic to humans as opposed to pollutants such as sediments or phosphorus, which are not. So pollutants that are acutely or chronically toxic to humans as opposed to pollutants those ones are now called toxic waste i know you guys are hearing bike sound shady it's cool so now we move to soil chemical pollutants the overview of the soil colloidal system which means soil serves as a filter of pollutants and soil also serves as a repository for things that we have thrown away aketon either domestic domestic wise agricultural wise or industrial wise 
Soil also serves as a source and sink for environmental pollutants. And the soil has a finite capacity. When it is filled with sink and can no longer perform its function to serve as a source, then you're already having problems. What is what are the sources or what are the things that the soil gives out as a source? We have dust, sediments, salt, nutrients, microorganisms, pesticides, toxic and radioactive elements. But as a sink, it removes salt and chemical from leaching water, used to bury solid waste like in landfills. And if overloaded, um, it could become a source with no capacity to act as a sink. So it's also vice versa. So what are the pollution sources? Hey, Chila is coming. Chill, chill, chill first. Talk about pollution sources now. So pollution sources. We have the point source. We have the non-point source. We have the natural source. We have the anthropogenic source. How you doing? So, <clears throat> wow, this is interesting. Anyways, don't get distracted, Sha. Well, clearly identifiable point of discharge. When you know where it is coming from, I'm monitoring like the bottom of it doesn't work. No, that's not it. When you know the clear source of your problem, that's point source pollution. But when you don't know, that's when you don't know without the obvious point of single discharge like runoff of used lawn herbicides that's non-point then we have natural ones like volcanic eruptions then we have anthropogenic so i got interrupted by a call no vex. So what are the types of um, chemical soil pollutants? We have the inorganic, we have the organic, and we have radionuclide. The radionuclide, we have strontium-90, cesium-137, and we also have organic, the pesticides, like herbicides, fungicides, and co-insecticides. Then we have inorganic, like cadmium, arsenic, chromium, copper, lead. And all of this causes their own issues. Arsenic causes poisons and cancers. Cadmium causes heart and kidney disease or bone. Embrittlement. Chromium causes mutagenic. Copper causes a rare disease. And lead causes brain damage and convulsion. Mercury causes nerve damage. Hold on, guys. I'll to cross the road. It's not just easy. I just have to take you guys through my daily life. Amen. Motor will not jam. Well, I can fire. Okay, so nickel causes lung cancer. Selenium causes rate of losses of air. Zinc causes rare extraction. 
Then we have sewage sludge as a source of inorganic pollutants. Solid materials removed from wastewater during the treatment process is sewage sludge. Solid byproducts of domestic or industrial wastewater treatment plant. Then source of macro and micronutrients. So thank you. Join us in the next segment.